Hello, and welcome to Think Business Futures. I'm your host, Toby Hemmings. Coming to you from the studios of Radio 2SER in Sydney, on the Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, and right around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Each week, we take a closer look at the financial issues making the news. This program is made possible with the assistance of the UTS Business School. When I say global supply chain issues, you might think of big issues like the container ship that blocked the Suez Canal. But the most pressing issue currently involving global supply chains is much, much smaller, at least in a physical sense. Semiconductors are the tiny microchips that are critical to the operation of electronic devices. COVID-19 has led to increases in demand for semiconductors, with people wanting better devices as they work from home, while simultaneously stymieing the ability of manufacturers to meet this supply. This has thrown the entire complex supply chain out of whack, particularly impacting on the automobile industry. Australia is very happy to consume goods that use semiconductors, but is there space for industry in Australia to start making chips and to build up our sovereign capability? Let's meet our panel. Hi, I'm Moira Sherry. I'm a lecturer in the Operation or Strategic Supply Chain Group with the University of Technology, Sydney. My particular interest is, is around digital supply chains and uh, service value networks. My name is Jim Rabot, and uh, until Friday last week, I was a professor at the University of Sydney in physics, and I'm currently in a in a transition period to start a new role as director of quantum technologies future science platform at CSIRO. My interest here is uh, a year and a half ago, we did a, a study, a scoping study on the semiconductor supply chain, the semiconductor industry in Australia and opportunities therein. Let's start with a really simple breaking it down question. Uh, Jim, what is a semiconductor? How did I know you were going to ask? <laughs> a semiconductor at, at one level, think of a semiconductor as the electronic engine that, that underlies most of the technologies that we interact with and interface with every day. Computers, phones, even light bulbs these days, LED light bulbs have some kind of semiconductor in them, household goods. So they're, they're everywhere. They're ubiquitous. And really what they are in a more technical way is a material called silicon that you can add dopants into the, to make them more or less conductive. Basically, you can, you can design in tiny, tiny electronic circuits that enable you to do things. And that's what makes them the, the engines or the brain of technology. And, uh, you know, over the last 40 or 50 years, we've been able to make those chips smaller and smaller and faster and faster. And, to the point where you have, you know, your mobile phone or a watch that is essentially a, an advanced computer. Where are semiconductors produced? Semiconductors are produced around the world. They're, they're in the US, in Europe, in Asia. But in terms of, from a supply chain point of view, there's a, a real strong focus in production and manufacture in Asia, in, in Taiwan, Japan, Singapore, uh, South Korea. So that's where most of the semiconductor chips that, that are put into cars or put into computers, that's where most of them come from. How has COVID-19 impacted on 
semiconductors in in the global supply chain. What happened when when COVID came upon the globe? There was a lot of reactive. There was a lot of reactivity from big companies, uh, producers, and and what happened in in the semiconductor supply chain as it relates to automotive manufacturers. They were the first to sort of react and say, okay, well, actually COVID's happening. We're going to see a decline in in people buying cars. Let's cancel some of the orders upstream of components and so on that that, that come in that, that are incorporated into our vehicles. And in doing that, many of those components have semiconductor chips in them. So in doing these cancellation of orders, then those those component manufacturers said, well, you know, we're going to also cancel our orders for semiconductor chips. So that sort of tr- it trickled up the supply chain to the point where then, you know, the, the semiconductor chip makers in, in, in Asia, concentrated in Asia, uh, really, they started to reallocate their resources and produce chips for other, other needs like computers. All of a sudden, everyone was wanting uh, gaming computers, more uh, household items because they're at home more often. Once the excess bandwidth that semiconductor manufacturing plants had, once they reallocated that, it's not a simple matter to, to steer it back and all of a sudden supply back to the automotive industry if they change their mind. And that's exactly what basically what happened. The automotive industry said, oh, hang on, COVID is having an impact, but, but actually we're not seeing a drop in people wanting to buy cars. If anything, it's kind of going in the other direction. And so they said, well, you know, to the Component manufacturers, actually, we want to turn the tap back on. We want those things because we need to build cars. And again, moving up the supply chain, semiconductor chip makers said, sorry, we cannot give you those chips because we have dedicated now for the next three, six months or whatever to making chips for computers, gaming consoles, and so on. And and I think, I mean, this is where I'm really interested to hear what Moira's point of view is. Something interesting happened here, and you can liken it to the toilet paper fiasco, right? I mean, (laughs) what happened then was supply was still needed to deliver cars, and we can apply this to any product. Supply was still needed, so any excess supply was quickly mopped up by these component manufacturers to try to deliver to the big car makers. And not only that, but they, they probably were saying, ooh, this is looking a bit scary. We better actually try to find as much as we can and even buy more of those chips than we actually need right now because they're going to run out and you know we're not going to be able to deliver our goods. And that's that sort of panic reaction. And, and again, I liken it to the toilet paper fiasco, for lack of a better word, but basically people buying it because they're worried that other people are going to buy and they're, and they're thinking everyone else is in that panic mode. And yeah. And then that completely threw out this very complex interwoven supply chain. And that's why it's taken such a long time to to recover from it and get to a point of of stability. Not to mention the fact that we're also technologically just advancing every single day in terms of our need and demand for semiconductor chips. That demand is just growing and growing and growing as well over time. So there's all these factors embedded. If I can just make a point there. Um, what the whole issue has sort of highlighted is a number of supply chain issues and that sort of messing around with demand, as, you, as it were, um, is, a, is a well-known problem. And what you have is when you have this run on demand or you have this, you know, this misalignment between the different suppliers in the, along the supply chain, you have this amplification effect. 
And this is really what we what we saw in this particular instance. The other thing that we you know, have come to realise is that that particular supply chain isn't responsive and isn't agile enough to be able to change with the, the needs that, that we saw in this particular situation. So one of the things that we would be looking at from a supply chain perspective is what, what could we do to make that supply chain more responsive and more agile? In terms of the semiconductor industry, is, is this indicative of what we've seen in other supply chains during COVID-19? Uh, yes, we've seen many supply chains. You know, the food supply chain has been, you know, totally thrown um, to pieces. Construction, not necessarily because of demand. Sometimes it's been caused because of transportation issues, but certainly many supply chain issues have come to the forefront because of COVID. What you were just saying about agility and responsiveness, what does that look like for people who might be trying to understand? Jim's just mentioned that these supply chain manufacturers have allocated supply for three to six months in advance. How do we make that chain potentially more agile? So it's really about the um, ability for organizations or manufacturers, you know, organizations within this supply chain to be able to respond more quickly. So, you know, in this instance, there were, I think, metal shortages. There were other things that exacerbated the problem with with the production of, of the chips. The other thing is some of the business models that some of the chip manufacturing organizations operate on, rather than just produce a standard set of chips, they outsource their manufacturing facilities so that chip designers could design their own chips but outsource the manufacturing. So there were other complexities that came into play with regards to being able to, somebody else owned the resource to to do the manufacturing. So it meant that they weren't able to control the resource as well as they could have had they you know, not had that part of their production facility contracted to somebody else to produce. So you've got this series of interlocking obligations. and if, Absolutely. It's like dominoes then. It's, if one thing falls out, then there are these ramifications that span. Yeah, yeah we know. would say it was a, a, modular, a modular supply chain. So plug and play. And at some point that does provide agility, but where you've got you know, adverse effects or disruptions of this nature, they come out of alignment. This is probably a global supply chain that is on the complex side, but is it more complex than many other industries? Is it indicative of the general state of digital supply chains in in an international free trading environment? My own view is that as our economies and as our goods and services are becoming more digitised, we are becoming more reliant on this piece, you know, this good. So in a sense, the production of chips is almost becoming a, a, a national, you know, before we used to have national industries, you know, that, were, that we relied on, and I can't, the term just doesn't come to me, but if our economy has to grow, we have to have chips. Our reliance on them is becoming greater and greater, particularly if we want to move to advanced technologies, Internet of Things, and all of these sorts of you know, emerging technologies, we're becoming more and more reliant. I think I read, Jim, in the report that you worked on with the New South Wales chief scientist last year, that the global semiconductor market for chips is currently estimated at about $425 billion US per annum. And there's estimates that suggest that it'll rise to a trillion dollars US by 2030. 30. Is this just indicative of the fact that everybody wants a gaming PC now, or is it similar to what we've seen in the auto industry? I mean, I think you've highlighted two very reasonable answers in that, you know, everyone wants 
the latest technology on the one hand and and that and that technology is advancing very quickly to the point where it's almost like every 18 months you want the next phone and then I think it's it's absolutely remarkable what's happening and, and automotive industry is a great example of how sophisticated these machines are getting in terms of safety features in terms of automation and the ability and, and to do all of that stuff you need to be gathering information you need to be sensing the world around you you need to be gathering that information processing it and then feeding it back to do something else so moira's pointed it out more and more things are becoming dependent on having some kind of chip to run something i wanted to comment back on the idea of the modular supply chain because that's a really interesting evolution in semiconductor in that at the very beginning, it started off where companies were what, what we would call today an integrated device manufacturer. An IDM, integrated device manufacturer, closest today might be Apple or, or Intel. And what they do is they design and they fabricate. They design a chip, they fabricate the chip in-house with their own facilities, and then they sell a product out like a phone. So everyone started off that way. But as the sophistication and the technical demands and the capital infrastructure costs of manufacturing the fabrication plants just got higher and higher and higher, it gradually moved to this outsourcing model to where Taiwan, they came in sort of into effect in the early 80s. They said, well, actually, there's an opportunity for us as a nation to focus on manufacturer. We're going to make this narrow piece of the supply chain our focus and our expertise, and other companies are going to come to us and pay us to make their chips. And that's what they've done. And now they have the lion's share, literally, of the majority of the semiconductor supply chain for manufacturing in, in Taiwan. And so it's really a function of it's, it's unfeasible now because of the cost to build a semiconductor plant, billions of dollars, several years, and then they also have a lifetime that's fairly short. So they get they get sunsetted after a fairly short period of time and a new facility is built. Most companies now are what we call fabless, meaning they, they do, again, referring to what Moira mentioned, is that they do the design and then they outsource the manufacturer and they get a chip back. And this all become very complex. And the weakness in the supply chain is that we realized, uh-oh, all of that fabrication capability is, is concentrated and out of our control. And how do we reclaim some of that? And that's kind of what COVID has done. And I think the comment where we have gone to, from a supply chain perspective, what we refer to as component-based manufacturing, we go to just-in-time delivery and we've sort of stripped the, any of the excess out. We don't have the inventory. We don't have the types of buffers uh, that we used to have, you know, when we were producing our own things, where we were in control of our own production capabilities. Do you think we've sacrificed some of those buffers in the name of that convenience aspect? Yeah, I think the pendulum has swung too far the other way that we do need to sort of rebalance, I think, yes. So how do we do and, that? Well, I think also some products have chosen the wrong business model. You go to buy a car and you've got to wait three months or you go to buy a couch and they're, you know, using the just-in-time delivery model or the, you know, the, the make-to-order rather than the make-to-stock. People have adopted the business models sometimes for the wrong reason. But it's very, very expensive to hold stock. We really need the financial heads to, to come up with the optimization of actually what's needed rather than, you know, there being a, a blanket approach to dealing with the situation. Given the current situation with semiconductors, how much of the risk is actually predictable given that 
the nature of these disruptions differs when you think about the disruptions that Australia has suffered in the last three years alone, ranging from bushfires to COVID. Was it foreseeable that the semiconductor industry was vulnerable in these ways? I think one of the things that now that we're operating in a global supply chain, it's very difficult to predict because if we look at the tsunami that happened or the incidents that happened in Japan, so you've got these incidents that are happening, you know, all over the world that are actually impacting supply chain. It's a product of global supply chains, and I think it's difficult to manage. The federal government last October announced as part of its job maker package, it would set up an office of supply chain resilience to identify these essential goods and services in times of crisis. So in June, they announced a series of grants to establish or scale up domestic manufacturing. So they identified medicines, PPE, agricultural production, chemicals as the relevant areas. Do you think there's some scope for the Office of Supply Chain Resilience to look into uh, semiconductor manufacturing or is it just too expensive? I personally think it's it becomes a sovereignty issue. If we want our economies to continue, it's the type of infrastructure spend that's, that's critical. I don't know if Jim shares the same view, but yeah, I would think it's it's critical. It's it's a really tricky one. My very simple black and white answer to that is yes, absolutely, we need to do something in the space. What it actually is, what we do, is is a question. Manufacturing is just it is such an expensive undertaking. High high risk, high capital, high volume, and and are we the nation set up to do that sort of piece of it? Is 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 a question mark. What I know in New South Wales, we, there, there are moves, partly stimulated by the report that we did for the chief scientist and what's happening at the Aerotropolis manufacturing. There's a hub there that's developing. There's, and there's a lot of interest and activity around semiconductor right now and in recognition to the fact that we don't have a, a sovereign capability, so there is a risk for us. But another point that I think I've, I've settled on in my, what I've learned in this space for the last couple of years is that no one is an island in this. I mean, you, Taiwan is not independent, even though they, they own fabrication part and they're manufacturing these chips. They got get all of their equipment from Europe and the US and they rely on their customers to sell the chips to who are often not in Taiwan. So what, what I think we need to do is a combination of identifying what is the strategic opportunity for Australia and linking that closely to other technologies that are on the rise, and I, and I use the example of quantum technologies, um, AI, different things that are going to have a high demand on new chip development, uh, space, communications, and, and then also have some strategic partnerships with other parts of the supply chain that we're going to depend on. You know, I, I think there's always going to be some risk inherent in that. And that's where I, I feel like we're at right now is what are, what are the things that we can invest in on, for the long term? To, to position us really as a, as a sovereign with some sovereign capability that placed its strengths. Mm. Yeah, I also think that there's lots of capabilities for 3D printing and additive manufacturing where we can have production facilities at the point of demand. And I think even exploring that you know, may not be um, suitable for chip manufacturing, I'm not sure, but you know, for other goods or services being able to be produced at the point of demand, I think is is a smart way to go as well. Jim, you found in, in that report with the New South Wales chief scientist that the country's participation in the semiconductor industry has a correlation with its economic complexity. Now, Australia has a pretty low economic complexity 
ranking, what does a low economic complexity ranking mean? And, and why is diversification important given our current topic? I think in, in some ways the, that the question of economic complexity is, is um, I don't know, maybe, maybe Moira can, can answer it better. I, I understand this with a physicist's perspective, uh, which is not an economist's perspective. Um, I think in, in relation to, to, to semiconductor, it's, it is such an advanced and complex space that requires an ecosystem around it that is expansive. It's about companies who, who maintain equipment, companies who, 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 uh, who use the, the advanced technologies that are coming out of it. And I can only imagine that if you have a strong force of, of a, you know, a semiconductor capability in, in your country, then if it's successful, you're gonna to have to have the entire ecosystem around it. And that includes also talent, talent production, talent generation training the right people uh, and giving them opportunities and maybe attracting the right people. And I think, you know, again, referring to sort of a domino effect, which, which we kind of have to think about here is it's not going to happen overnight where we have this economic complexity built in. We have to think about what are the steps, the small steps we need to take today that in 10 years time, we're going to look and equate to something that is complex and uh, innovative and beneficial for for our country so that's how I think of it Moira your thoughts yeah I mean I guess you know even when we look at distributed production or distributed capabilities that's where the complexity comes because you've got all of these activities that are happening all over the place that are you know they need to be connected and integrated or it's affecting organizational structures like we have the whole sort of notion of distributed autonomous organisations where the organisation and the operations are happening automatically across a whole, you know, through different geographies and connecting different industries and different activities. So that's, that's I think, where the complexity comes, but that's also what's being considered to be the future in terms of, of operating, you know, in terms of operations and supply chain management. So, and of course, all of that is underpinned by the technology. So how we actually remain relevant in that space in order for us to be able to at least control our own destiny, as it were, or our own future economies, I think is, is critical. Looking forward, semiconductor ship shortage looks like it's going to continue for the near term. Toyota last week announced, for example, that global production will be slashed by 40% from next month. Is this what we've just got to get used to for the near term? Is that used car prices will be uh, on the rise, that uh, new cars will be harder to come by. Are there other industries that look like they'll be impacted in the near term? My optimistic perspective on this is that that we'll recover. I mean, that's what I've read in my own uh, looking at the, at the news and interpretations from supply chain experts and economists that it will be equilibrate and recover, it's just going to take time because of this bullwhip effect that Moira mentioned. But I think this, the highlighting of the gap and perhaps an impact on the behaviors of those who are in the supply chain in the sort of medium term is still going to lead to possible disruptions because, you know, of reactivities and self-preservation of those in the supply chain. The other, you know, the parallel aspect here is what I've referred to before is the technology advancing and the ubiquity of semiconductor chips just increasing on a, on, a, on a daily basis. 
exciting, but testing the, the existing infrastructure and supply chains that we have in place. So how that plays out with this other complexity in parallel is um, kind of an unknown. And it's interesting that Toyota, I, I didn't seen that Toyota mentioned that, but I know that there's going to be, they're going to be hardest hit this year for sure. I think also as we come out of the, the crisis or the COVID crisis, organizations often use this opportunity to automate and become leaner and, you know, change their production, you know, change the way that they do business which may in fact may also increase demand again for, for the chips. So I, I think so the jury's out in terms of how quickly we will recover because we don't actually really have an understanding of what future demand is going to look like yet either. And I think it's just going to continue to grow probably faster than we anticipate. That's all for today's panel. Thank you to my guests, Jim Rabot and Moira Sherry. You can catch the full show online wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends or leave a review. I'm your host, Toby Hemmings. Stay safe, and I'll catch you back here next week.